Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Welcome back. We're going to continue our conversation with former Congressman Dennis Kucinich. And uh, this is one of those uh, in radio, of course, when news breaks, especially here at KSL News Radio, we're, we're on it, and the deck gets shuffled. And as as part of that process, again, this uh, this new book uh, from Dennis Kucinich, again, former congressman, former presidential candidate. Uh, many of you are very familiar with him. Uh, I was not familiar with his early career and how young he was uh, when he started his political career. But just reading just reading this first part, if you missed the first segment of the program, he was a young uh, city councilman uh, in Cleveland. Uh, there was a, a bank that had a subsidiary that was a power company and all of the uh, intrigue that was going on there, an assassination attempt on Dennis Kucinich because he was getting in the way of someone who wanted to make a lot of money uh, off of the utility. And uh, such an interesting conversation. And as always, as always, uh, the great Kelly Pierce, our producer, uh, jumped in uh, as we were having quite the day last Friday uh, to have this conversation with Dennis Kucinich. And so I've invited Kelly into the studio to help us get a little feel and flavor for the conversation with the congressman. And what were some of the things that just jumped out to you as uh, as you went through that interview? I think the first thing that really jumped out to me was just how open he was about everything. And he would actually back up like what he said about the assassination attempt. He said, no, I'm not just making this up. This was proven by police. This was proven by, you know, the... A U.S. Attorney's Office in the Midwest that was looking into organized crime. I mean, <laughs> this was really kind of a crazy story that he got mixed up with, but he just kind of laid it all out on the line, which yeah. was really interesting. Yeah, so fascinating that uh, he would go through all that. And he raises some great points in terms of uh, some of the principles that, that guided him through that process. I know you were able to ask him about some of those. Let's take a listen uh, to one of those uh, and some of the early influence of his life. And then I want you to, to weigh in on this, Kelly. My parents never owned a home. We were renters as the family grew from one to seven children. We kept having trouble finding a place to rent. And so sometimes we were one of the few, if only, Caucasian families in a community of of, uh, African Americans. And so my cultural experience growing up wasn't growing up with people who happened to be a different color, happened to be black. And when I saw people, you know, as with us, you know, worried about having a roof over your head, worried about living conditions. Because of that, uh, you know, I have certain sensitivities and sympathies that run very deep based on where and how I grew up. And that's why I felt in the book I described the connection that I have to the black church. There's a, a different kind of rhythm and connection that that it, it's 
are, to guide our lights, no matter what line of work we're in. So again, that was Dennis Kucinich. And uh, Kelly, as you were talking with the former congressman, uh, what did you get that uh, sense, uh, especially as it related to this whole uh, situation in Cleveland, again, very early in his career, uh, in terms of that kind of being grounded and his experience in the black community and the black church uh, in particular? Well, we were the only show, apparently, that has asked him about this. So he was very grateful about that because it was something that he felt is foundational to him, which is this sense of community that he really got from the black church. And that's where he really got involved in politics and really got that interest as well. And, you know, he'd um, attend the church and, you know, he's Catholic, but he really felt like he really loved the conversations there mm. as well. Yeah, I, lo- I loved how he said the the rhythm was different, the uh, the connectedness was was different in that community, and uh, and I wondered too because of that connection, because of the poverty and the and the economic challenges he faced in his large family growing up, uh, if that didn't play into this whole battle with the bank and you know what ultimately consumers were going to have to pay for their power. You get that sense, absolutely, that he really takes from his childhood to inform his choices going forward. That's for sure. Yeah, let's listen to this. This is, again, this is Dennis Kucinich uh, talking about uh, what grounded him as he moved up very rapidly as a young politician. I never had been that attracted to materiality. Well, first of all, growing up, we didn't have much. And, And my life did not become about pursuit of it. You know, my religious education was such that in a way it was about not seeking uh, material wealth. I just didn't want anything. And when I saw this wealth surrounding me, it didn't belong to me. It belonged to people. I didn't feel any different. Yeah, when I had my first, when I was measured for, I guess, for the first tailored suit in my life, uh, it was a nice feeling. So, you know, one must uh, not pretend to... uh, uh, aligned with the trends of wealth when you're representing the people. Uh, I think it's a, a really, again, foundational piece for him. Again, whether you like his politics or not, whether you agree with you know where he falls on the, the spectrum or not, uh, you, you have to respect that component to it. Uh, how do you think that played out uh, for him, again, some of these core principles, not just you know during this episode that's, that's in this really fascinating book, but uh, as he went throughout his career? Well, it's interesting in the book, he talks about being in the mayor's office at the first time, and he's just, you know, kind of a little bit overwhelmed by the grandeur, but he makes this conscious decision, okay, I'm not going to let that get to me. You know, I'm going to stick with my principles. And, you know, traditionally, you know, the left has definitely seen themselves as the champion of the little guy. Now, again, agree or disagree. That's how a lot of people who are attracted to that political philosophy really view themselves. Mm. And I think that kind of plays into everything. Yeah. One of the interesting things from the interview uh, was him really talking about, you know, waste, fraud and abuse. Uh, This is fascinating. (laughs) Just just so interesting that that he went there. And so uh, one of your last questions uh, to Dennis Kucinich was what happens when your ideals uh, get pushed up against reality? Let's take a listen. I was able to cut city spending during my first term as mayor by 18 percent without reducing services through eliminating waste, fraud and abuse. And the, the reader is given a tour de force of the kind of waste, fraud and abuse that I discovered when I stepped into the mayor's office. You know, government doesn't always need all the money that it has and sometimes government wastes money. And so I I went into office with the understanding that don't ask for any more money than you need. Cleveland at that time 
was the only city in America which was run on a cash basis, a big city, without borrowing a dime. I might be the only person who's ever been able to say that. If you're trying to be honest, you don't ask for more money than you need to run a city. You know, this is a big family. And you want to make sure the family has meets all of its needs, but you don't want to be wasteful in, in your spending. And I treat taxpayer dollars uh, in a way that people would want to treat their own family budget. So fascinating. <laughs> it was really fascinating because if you know Dennis Kucinich's politics, he is a strong progressive. However, he gets to the city council, or excuse me, the mayor's office, and he realizes, oops, we have a budget problem. So yeah. what are we going to do? And he starts to cut spending, which you don't think of as a progressive. But yeah. then he kind of says, you know what? I remember those family budgets and having to scrimp by. And so that's really what informed his philosophy of, you know, this is what we got to do now. Yeah, that, that was my real think again moment from this uh, this whole interview was like, oh my goodness, when he said that he operated the city of Cleveland on a cash basis. Nuts. Like, that's crazy town stuff. That's awesome, too. (laughs) You have to admit, you know, just pay for what you need. Yeah. And it really goes back to when he was a kid, you know, but it was such a surprising thing to say from such a strong progressive that usually likes to, you know, expand the size of government. Yeah. So interesting. It's, It's a great book. It's a great read. Uh, if you missed the first part of our uh, show today, you can go back to the podcast. Uh, two parts we're going after here. Uh, the book by Dennis Kucinich is The Division of Light and Power, and it, it is part spy novel-worthy <laughs> intrigue within the you know city government uh, and part a set of principles that I think, regardless of your political persuasion, uh, have some, some real value to it. Any uh, real quick, any last takeaways for you from that interview, Kelly? You know what? You can't judge a book by its cover. That's all I can say. I thought he was going to go one way, and his life story was a lot more complex. Yeah, so fascinating and and so important. I think uh, it's one more example of why we always start this show with a think again uh, focus, uh, that we do want to reconsider what we think we know. We want to reconsider what we think we believe about people, about principles, about policy, about history, about politics. And uh, this was just one really great example. And uh, Kelly Pierce, appreciate you driving that conversation with uh, former Congressman Dennis Kucinich. Great book, The Division of Light and Power. We're going to step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Tom Carter. We're talking about energy coming up next. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.